Oh, I haven't got my headphones on. Sorry. Oh. Probably a bit echoey. I thought I'd not done something. Oh. Oh, I forgot to put my pants on as well. That feels better. I felt naked without them. Which bits? Your pants or your pants. headphones? <laughs> yep, my pants. Right. <laughs> Let's do a countdown. Wow, 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 wow. Three. Three. Two. Two. One. One. Da 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 da. Oi. Well, we've done this three. <laughs> we've done this what four times now? That particular I intro, know, and this is the only time you've never gone wee because well, it's usually I, something I, I planned I after it. <laughs> because I thought I'd done it. I'd, I'd said hey three a couple of times before, and I wanted to do something different. And then I sort of panicked in the moment, like a rabbit <laughs> in the headlights. And I sort of thought long and hard about what would be an amusing thing to say, and I ended up saying oi instead of hey. <laughs> Perfect. I mean, you've essentially just described the harrowing years of me being. Young, single, and dating. Right there. <laughs> well, did you go speed dating, did you? And every time someone sat down in front of you, you just went, Oi! Hey! <laughs> Three, two, Oi. one. Oh, hey. shit. I'm panicking. I'm panicking. <laughs> say, something, say something funny and interesting. Uh... <laughs> oh, Wolfgang Amadeus. Shut up, uh, my chin. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you do at the weekends? <laughs> Lovely weather, isn't it? Oh, don't. PTSD. <laughs> God, being single was awful. I don't think it was so much being single as being a teenager. I think that was what was awful. A teenager? Oh, I was. this was my late 20s. <laughs> what were you like when you were a teenager then? Were you still oh, playing you, with Lego? You knew me when I... Oh, oh, come on now, as if you weren't. <laughs> <laughs> You were full well that I was still playing with Lego, Tom. We knew each other as teenagers. <laughs> so what? So what? When you were a teenager, then what was your approach to I dating? I played the ukulele and I had a quirky hat, and that's what made me individual and ergo attractive in my mind. <laughs> You'll also remember the extended period at university, Tom, when I had blue hair. Was it blue? I remember it being blonde with roots that were a completely different colour. Yes, well, that was after the blue, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, I see. So the blue disappeared and you just ended up with half-bleached hair. Yep. A little bit like a, a 90s Home and Away character. <laughs> a little, a very little bit, yes. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Welcome to That Was Genius, the history podcast in which we relive our harrowing youth and also tell stories on history theme each week. What is the theme this week, Tom? The theme this week is to north. Up to north. Up to north. North. So, like, north. Yes, yes, yes. Where everyone's so much friendlier. You know, down south, they're all really unfriendly and they don't speak to each other. Whereas up north, we're really friendly. Tom lives in New Zealand, so he couldn't really get much further south. <laughs> no. He's literally the least friendly man you'll ever meet. Like all Kiwis. <laughs> They've got a reputation for that, being incredibly unfriendly and grumpy people. Miserable bastards. Miserable Kiwis, yeah. I am pretty much as south as you get. I'm, I'm also on the South Island of New Zealand. Yeah, I am very southerly. Jesus. I know. Wow, you're just you're one stop short of Penguin Land. The most southern city in New Zealand must be Invercargill, which people call Invergiggle, because it's so much fun down there. <laughs> Do they? Invergiggle. Do they call it that? And is that the reason why? Invergiggle, because it's just shitloads of fun. <laughs> it's not. It's depressing. <laughs> Before we start, I don't know how much talk of to North there's going to be today. Uh, but by way of disclaimer, Tom, you're originally from Newcastle, aren't you? Which is quite far north in England. 
I am. It is rather. It is really rather far north. It's quite close to Hadrian's Wall, in fact. It is, which, as we know, is the end of civilization. Yeah, well, absolutely. Well, I, I moved down south when I was uh, about seven, and that's when I became civilized and I, I learned to speak proper. <laughs> I, you know, I came down and said, "Hey, guys, what's going on in class? Oh, we're doing show and tell. Here, look, I brought me neighbour's tires." <laughs> Beg your pardon? What are you talking about, dear boy? <laughs> My neighbour's horses don't have tyres. <laughs> oh, you fucking bunch of pansies. Look at you, wearing your fucking jackets in winter like it's cold. I'm still wearing my miniskirt. <laughs> <laughs> fucking lovely weather. <laughs> Minus four. Sun's out, guns out. <laughs> Yep, that was me at the age of seven. <laughs> Good. Well, my disclaimer is that uh, I live in Manchester now, which is moderately far north in Britain, and I absolutely love it. So any piss I take this week is coming from a place of love. Please don't shank me. Did you live near Birmingham for a while? I was a Brummie. I was born a Brummie. Yeah, I thought you were, yeah. Yeah, I've lost that accent. I know it's called the Midlands, but for someone who's who's brought up for most of their life in the South, that's North. And for our non-UK listeners, well, you might have seen Birmingham in Peaky Blinders, which I think is quite an international hit now, but it had the just, accents just the patchy, worst. The, the accents are bad. Well, they couldn't speak in a proper, proper Brummie accent because no one would be able to understand them. <laughs> the Birmingham accent, the accent of my birth and youth, is a bit like this, and it can be Lord, the happiest day of your life. And you can sound incredibly depressed. It's my wedding day. I love you. <laughs> it's just the worst <laughs> accent. Anyway, anyway, how have you found this week, Tom? Good, and it's I've finally gone ancient. In fact, I went past ancient. I went to ancient and I went, fuck off ancient, you're not old enough. I, I'm pretty <laughs> much prehistory here. I've gone pretty much prehistory. Good, um, you're a historical cougar this week. Oh, yeah, I've... <laughs> I've got. I'm. I'm. I'm at the end of the Bronze Age. Wow! Actually, wow! Yeah, I know. Wow! Whack! Take that. Ugh. Not Boom. even fucking around with iron. Boom! Just sticking to bronze. Um, <laughs> next week, Paleolithic. Have some of that. <laughs> that's where I'm going. I think that's good because we've done quite a lot of modern stuff, haven't we? So we I'm have, going. Yeah. I'm going ancient. Well, I finally kept my promise from a few weeks back that I was going to go old, and I've gone for the ancient Greeks this week. So I've. Excellent. I'm doing my duty. I'm doing my bit of classics. And I have to say, I have actually really enjoyed this week. I've had a really good time because the Greeks are balmy, Tom. They're brilliant engineers, fantastic mathematicians, but like all good polymaths, socially, they're a little bit weird. And some of their general (laughs) knowledge outside of their very specialist areas of measuring the earth and triangles and shit is is really quite patchy. So I'm having... like that. I've had a great time. Uh, looking up what the Greeks thought about the North. Oh, brilliant. Oh, that's fantastic. Because as you know, that was my dissertation at university, was perceptions of lands that people didn't really know much about. So yes. I, I, yeah. And it turns out they made most of it up, didn't they, Tom? Yes, they did. <laughs> Are you, have you been reading a bit of Herodotus? I've glanced over Herodotus. He may feature. Excellent, excellent. Oh, I am looking forward to this. What a lovely teaser. <laughs> well, enough teasing, Tom. Enough tickling me. Let's uh, let's get on with this. Let's do this. Let's flip something. Yeah, let's flip something. What have I got today? Uh, do you know what? I genuinely have no idea what this is, Tom. It's a business card. It's written in Mandarin. How do I describe this to you? Uh, do you want the side with the communism and the stars on it, or the side with the map of the town of Yangshuo on it? 
I can't tell you much more about it. It's all in Mandarin. Don't speak Mandarin. I will go for the the commie crap on, on one side of it. Commie crap. Our glorious yeah. crap. <laughs> it's not your crap, Tom. It's ours. It's everyone's crap. Equally distributed amongst the crappers. Okay, amongst the creators amongst of the tur- crap. <laughs> the turdletariat. The t- <laughs> Taken off the bourgeois shit. <laughs> right, Tom, I have won. And I think I'm going to go first this week, Tom. Hit me with your Greek knowledge. Hit you with my Greco stick. Yeah, I'm going to throw knowledge plates at you. <laughs> Whilst you dance to Zorba. Who's Zorba? Zorba was Zorba the Greek. I don't know much more about him than that. It's a song. It's a piece of music. Oh, okay. Fair enough. I thought it, I thought it was a classical author that I didn't know about. I was sitting here. I oh, just no chance of that. Suddenly song. cold. No, literally thinking, no chance of that. Oh, I thought I'd at least recognise the name. I might not have read them. <laughs> I've been made to look stupid here. I've never heard of Zorba. Well, Tom, <laughs> talking of being made to look stupid, given the fact that you're really quite into your classical history and I'm really not, I suspect you might be correcting me at one or two points during today's story. No, because the, <laughs> the last time I did that on the sculpture episode, I came across like a right prick. So I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do Yeah, that. you did, but you've never let that stop you before. And I doubt, despite your best <laughs> efforts, you're going to let it stop you today. So, I tell you what, do you want to have... Should we have a safe word? Should we have a little noise that you make when I get something like a pronunciation or just the facts wrong? Uh, I, I, um, a safe word. That'll do. Courgette. Just, <laughs> yeah, courgette. All right. So, when when I get it wrong, you just say courgette. <laughs> courgette. In a really smug way, okay? Okay, not, not like in a sort of, I've been tied up and strapped to a wall... Uh, with my clothes off. Courgette! Uh, no, there's a that would be a mixture of pleasure and pain, whereas in this case it's just intellectual exhaustion, which I don't think <laughs> is what happens in S&M clubs usually. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. Although it would be fascinating if it was, if your kink was to be tied to a wall and given appalling interpretations of Kafka by someone utterly unqualified for the role. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <Ooh. laughs> yeah. Mm, Courgette! Gosh, I can't take any more. <laughs> right, enough pseudo-intellectualism. Let's get down to some just wrongness. Welcome to the North, Tom, or at least the North as it used to be, to the ancient Greeks, who, as I've said, were amazing at maths, but actually really pretty shit at quite a lot of other things and prone to making a lot of nonsense up. And like many things with me, Tom... I'm going to start with some wind. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) I look forward to that. (laughs) Allow me to adjust the position of my microphone. (laughs) I'm pulling my finger. (laughs) Now, the Greeks, Tom, had a god for literally everything. And the god of wind, or the god of the wind, was a chap called Aeolus. Uh, There's two Aeolus, or Aeoli, if you like, in Greek mythology. Uh, One's the son of Poseidon, and then there's this chap who keeps the winds and lives in Sicily. And like most Sicilians, he has a somewhat unpredictable temperament and is also the god of storms. Uh, You've seen The Godfather, you know what kind of Italian-Americans are like in films. Basically, imagine imagine that, but this guy. Full-on telenovela, but happens to control all the storms and the winds. He sounds like a bit of an overdramatic prick. Now, Aeolus had four... There were sometimes horses, sometimes winged people, and sometimes just gusts of wind called the Animoi. And these guys are minor gods who represent individually the different great winds of the world. Incidentally, they are the children of the gods of dawn and dusk, which kind of makes sense because that's where the winds tend to be highest. 
So we had a guy called Eurus. Now Eurus was the east wind god. Uh, he was also sometimes mixed in with another easterly windy god because fucking Greece called <laughs> <laughs> Apeliotes or Apeliotes. He's a friendly chap. He's a nice god. He brings the refreshing morning rains that bring life to the world and make life nice and easy for farmers and is usually seen smiling and carrying lots of fruit. His brother is called Notus, the god of the south wind and bringer of summer droughts and autumn storms. Now, he's a bit of a dick. Sounds like it. And he has a reputation for destroying all your crops over summer and autumn. I don't know if you've ever been to southern Europe, Tom, but it gets incredible Saharan summer storms called Scirocco or Scirocco. Oh, I haven't witnessed those, no. They're they're absolutely incredible. The thunderstorms and the dust clouds they kick up is unbelievable. So you can see why the Greeks would uh, would, would see him as as being a bit of a dick, frankly. Zephyrus, or Zephyr, is the Western Wind. And that's a name that will be familiar to our American audience because there's a lot of uh, famous Western things in America called Zephyr, which go very fast. So the Transcontinental Railroad had trains called the Zephyr and there were airships called the Zephyr, which means the Western Wind. Now, Zephyrus is is another friendly guy. He's a happy guy. He's the bringer of spring. And he's also a bit of a ladies' man, which in Greek mythology means he's a kidnapper and a rapist, Tom. (laughs) As well, you know. Ladies love some. <laughs> ladies love a man with wind. <laughs> indeed, indeed, they did. Can't get enough of it. <laughs> Wished you away on a cloud of his own making. <laughs> My flatulence brings all the girls to the yard. <laughs> well, his flatulence, Tom, brings all the fruit to the trees. Oh, he's a, he's got a nice wind. He's got good wind. He's married to Iris, who's the goddess of rainbows. But because he's a quote-unquote ladies' man slash rapist, he also kidnapped a woman called Chloris and made her the goddess of flowers. They shagged and that's where fruit comes from. That's how fruit was invented. Uh, Bear in mind, and this is a brief anatomy lesson, uh, which is slightly confusing, bear in mind that Zephyrus was a horse, so try and work out the physics of a horseman god kidnapping and having lots of sex with a flower so that she gives birth to some apples. Yeah, that's odd, isn't it? It's a bit odd, but fuck it. Grease is a phrase that I'm going to be using quite a lot in my story today. <laughs> fuck it, Chris. And finally, Tom, we get to the big guy. Boreas, the northern wind. And oh, Tom, doesn't Boreas live up to his name and the northern stereotype? Boreas is a grumpy, curmudgeonly old fart, quite literally, farty. <laughs> With a scraggly beard and massive hair and a really, really violent temper. Uh, he's got a giant conch shell horn, which he's constantly blowing as if the farting wasn't enough. And he wears a great big <laughs> scraggly cloak. And he's really a bit of a twat to everyone he meets as he sweeps winter down through the land. So he's the god of winter. He's um, just a miserable old wintry git. Sounds great. Yeah. I mean, he sounds quite Yorkshire. He's just a yeah. really curmudgeonly yeah. old man who hates oh, the world oh, and hates gum. everything. Oh, <laughs> Oh, heck. Oh, heck. Hey, not like it used to be, not in my day. Hey, boy, heck. These hey, southern nope. pansies. Hey. All right. Interestingly, Tom, and for absolutely no obvious reason that I was able to find whatsoever, uh, Boreas is sometimes shown as having snakes instead of feet. Like a really bad child's drawing of a person. Yeah. <laughs> they've that just is, drawn green legs on strange. him. It is very strange. Uh, but I've chosen to think of this as just he liked having colourful socks. Because have you ever met these people? <laughs> you get, you, you notice this phenomenon that you get people, they tend to be like old academics or they work in archives or they're in tech support quite frequently who are just incredibly grumpy old men who wear brown and grey and don't shower very often and smell really bad and hate people Horrible, and want to breath, be left yeah. alone. 
but they always, always these people have a jaunty sock or a colourful tie. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And it's almost as if they've been cursed by a witch to have yes. all their happiness residing in a sock. Yeah, that's the only <laughs> thing they have in their life with any colour or joy in it. Is just yeah. <laughs> is a colourful sock, <laughs> and the poor sock has to sit hugging their stinky, mouldy, fungal foot. I've yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, the other <laughs> I've been that who... sock, Tom. I've been that sock in social situations. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the only other people who sometimes wear colourful socks are business people, aren't they? Who, for example, work in Canary Wharf. Yeah, lawyers maybe. Yes. and it's the only possible way that they are allowed to express themselves. They have to wear a boring suit and boring polished shoes and a shirt and a tie, yep. and their little bit of rebellion is having some rainbow-coloured socks. It's the kind of sock that says, I closed down two companies today and 5,000 people on minimum wage lost their job. <laughs> so here's a Winnie the Pooh sock. <laughs> it's got yeah, Tigger on it. <laughs> Do you know what fucks me off with socks, Sam? Go on, Tom. What fucks me off with socks is when you buy a pair of socks and they have an L on one of them and an R on the other. Because you know what? That makes folding the fuckers up a lot harder. Why can't they just all be the same colour, no left, no right, and then you can fold them up, put them in your drawer, and your mind is at rest? The moment you put an L and R on them, far out, there's too much pressure. I can't have socks in my drawer that are R and R and L and L. Right, okay, so you mean you're talking about pairing them up rather than artistically or possibly autistically folding your socks incredibly neatly in left-right order? Oh, no, yeah, yeah, so I mean... Right. I I mean, pairing (laughs) them... I I pair and fold. (laughs) I pair and fold my socks. What a catch. What a catch. Sorry, (laughs) ladies, he's taken. What were we talking about with socks? What were we saying about socks? Old, boreous, snaky feet. Let's not forget, not only does he have snakes for feet, he's also a horse or part horse and is said to be the father, this guy, the North Wind, of some of ancient Greece's most famous horses and stables and studs. So he is the father of great Greek horses. It's also believed, and this is a fantastic bit of Greek mythology, Tom, that if you had a mare or a female horse and it stood with its back end facing the northern wind, it would get pregnant Ooh. miraculously, just like that. So on the basis of that, if you do ever happen to go to Greece, Tom, and you happen to be facing into the north wind, do wear a face mask to avoid a spray of bad-tempered <laughs> deitic equine jizz. <laughs> That's the way you were going with that <laughs> quite early on. <laughs> the spunky obvious ones winds. are the best. The, <laughs> spunk- the spunky northern winds. <laughs> a bit like his brother, Boreas was a bit of a ladies' man, i.e. kidnapper and rapist, uh, stealing an unfortunate Athenian princess called Orithia, or Orithia by whipping her away in a cloud when she refused his advances and marrying her anyway. They had four kids, two sons who ended up becoming the Boreads, who were two crew members on the Argo in Jason and the Argonauts. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. And uh, two daughters, uh, one of whom became the goddess of snow, and the other was just some bird named Cleopatra, who could be anyone really, and sort of disappeared into the ether. So despite the slightly unconsenting nature of this relationship, the Athenians did view him as a relative by marriage because he was married to their great historic princess and therefore he was a patron of the city which kind of makes sense i guess he'd be the the stepdad of athens maybe and the athenians credited him with destroying two of the great persian king xerxes invasion fleets so they held him in very high regard despite the fact that he was a grumpy little shit who made everyone very chilly and uh, was generally miserable to everyone around him but yeah you know you could rely on him in a scrape absolutely like all good yorkshiremen yeah he wouldn't leave you standing on your own he'd yeah. come in sink a pint of mild whip his flat cap off 
and then fart the Phoenician Blast. boats away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Bend over, spread his buttocks wide. And toot and toot until they blew away. Anyway, Tom, this grumpy old bastard lived in a cave in Thrace, which is modern-day Bulgaria. But what lay beyond, Tom? If the northern winds bring winter, what happens above the northern winds? Yeah, yeah. And the northern wind can't turn north, because then it'd be a southerly. Then it'd be a southern wind, yeah. It's a mystery, Tom. It's a mystery. And this, Tom, mysteries like this are where the Greeks go from being great engineers and mathematicians to appalling map makers and holiday reps. <laughs> because above Thrace, which is only a few hundred miles north of Greece, is apparently a magical land called Hyperborea. The land above the north winds. Now, have you ever heard of Hyperborea, Tom? You're oh, into your classics. No, I haven't. Well, Tom, Hyperborea is paradise. It's a land where the sun shines for 24 hours a day, where everyone sings and dances all the time, nobody works, and they never fight or have to go to war. Ah, Yorkshire. <laughs> Sweet Yorkshire. <laughs> that doesn't sound like paradise to me, because you just get tired very quickly, and it'd be too light to sleep. Yeah, it actually sounds pretty pretty exhausting, doesn't it? But be, for a holiday... Yeah. Great. Yeah, yeah, you could keep up with. Yeah, you could do it for about two weeks, but then you'd need to come yeah. home and have some rest. You'd need you'd need a break. Yeah, you'd need yeah. A, a good all kip. that dancing. So much liar. So much liar. Too much bazookai. Uh, it should also be mentioned, Tom, that everyone in this land was a giant for reasons unknown. Excellent. And they were all six cubits or three meters tall. Now, this being a mythical land, of course, you couldn't actually go there, and the Greeks knew that. After all, it was situated beyond the so-called Rhyphean Mountains, which couldn't be crossed by mortal men because they're entirely made up and don't exist, but that didn't stop the Greeks from putting them on all their maps. <laughs> so somewhere above some mountains that everyone knew existed but don't exist was a land that everyone knew existed but doesn't exist. Inhabited by people who didn't exist but they thought did exist. Yes. <laughs> Three metre tall men who danced all day. Because there only yep. was day. It's one of these kind of mor morality stories where someone dies and thinks they've gone to heaven, but it turns out it's hell because they really like jelly and then they're surrounded by jelly and drowning in jelly for the rest of their lives. I don't know, we got told some strange stories in assembly in school. <laughs> so anyway, the fact that this country didn't exist didn't stop the Greeks from writing about it in enormous detail. And the first proper work we have that survives that, that talks in detail about this place, Hyperborea, is Herodotus' Histories. Yeah. from about 450 BC, which is, as you well know, a really, really important book in the classical pantheon. It's one of the greatest sources we've got for kind of discussing how the Greeks saw the world around them. And Herodotus in this book says that Homer was writing about it in a, a lost work from far, far, far earlier. So the Greeks were talking about this for, from hundreds and hundreds of years BC. They believed that Hyperborea existed as a place. And according to many Greek writers, particularly the earliest or the earlier ones, this land of milk and honey was what we would today call a little slice of heaven, Tom, called Romania. <laughs> Romania. That's what you think of when you think of Romania, isn't it? It's yeah. a land of milk and honey where the sun never sets. Not just a generic Eastern European country. Yeah. <laughs> so that's certainly what Homer thought. Homer thought that this country was in roughly modern day Romania. Some others thought it was in modern day Ukraine. And interestingly, one historian in the 4th century BC, a chap called Hecateus of Aberda, thought it might be Britain. <sighs> now, a scrap of this guy's writing has survived, preserved in a quote from another ancient source. And it says, In the regions beyond the land of the Celts, there lies in the ocean an island no smaller than Sicily. 
This island is situated in the north and is inhabited by the Hyperboreans, who are called by that name because their home is beyond the point where the north wind blows, and the island is both fertile and productive of every crop with an unusually temperate climate. Which sounds about right, doesn't it? Yeah, sounds, like, sounds like the UK. <laughs> yeah, Britain, a land where it's never dark, and we hate fighting, and everyone's giant, and we all sing happy songs. And the weather's lovely. Yeah. And the weather's lovely all the time. Sounds like the UK. Yeah, I think he probably got close, but it does sound very much to me, Tom, like he overshot a little bit and actually possibly meant to put the pin on the map in Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> and I wrote that joke, I pre-prepared that, that, that joke, and then I discovered afterwards that actually, genuinely, in the 17th century, when everyone in Europe was trying to claim some great Greek or Roman heritage for themselves in the Renaissance, the Swedish actually decided that, yes, this is us, we're the happy mythical giants that everyone was writing about. Despite no one ever saying historically that it was Sweden. Yeah, just grab a hold of it. Yeah, fair enough. Or even really knowing about Sweden, Sweden decided, yeah, they were definitely writing about us. There we go. I wrote the joke and it turns out actually it was true. But in fairness, people have been doing that throughout history, haven't they? I, I seem to remember when oh, I God, yeah. studied Scottish as kings, the Scottish kings traced their descent from Aeneas and the Aeneid. Just bonkers. <laughs> yeah. Look at me. I'm so Greek. I fucking love olives and smashing plates and fucking goats. Look, I'm more Greek than fucking Homer himself. <laughs> Look at my Greek ginger hair. Oh, actually, that could be Macedonian, couldn't it? <laughs> Did Macedonians have ginger hair? Macedonians all had ginger hair. Oh, maybe they maybe they were right, Tom. Did maybe they? they were right. Oh. Yeah. Well, there you go. That's an interesting fact. Macedonians had ginger hair. They did. And in fact, if you go to some of the really remote parts of Pakistan and the Indus Valley, which is like the furthest reaches of where Alexander the Great conquered, there are very remote communities who were basically uncontacted for hundreds and hundreds of years until the early 19th century, late 18th, early 19th century, because they were up in the Himalayas. And there are large numbers of South Asian people with ginger hair there, which is a very, very rare deformity. And they only come from Certain little tribes. There you go. Oh, very interesting. Isn't there? I think there are a lot of... You can spot quite a lot of ginger-haired, pale-skinned individuals in southern Spain. Can you? And I think... and I, Now, this may be <laughs> crap. It may be true. But I think that's because of Spanish raiders on the south coast of England during the, the early modern period, so the Elizabethan period. Really? And so they were they were raiding the south coast. I assumed that was going to be a joke about Brits <laughs> abroad. <laughs> yeah, but but, uh... and that's exactly right, yeah. And they and so they were, they were raiding the south coast and taking away slaves. And now all of those people have gone back to Spain and are balding, drinking large amounts of lager and fighting with the locals. Yeah, exactly, and, co- and complaining that things are too Spanish in Spain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Did you see there was an article recently in the paper about a woman who'd gone on holiday to Spain and actually complained to the holiday company because there were too many Spanish people and it ruined it for her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. I did see that. Brilliant. Britain, Britain, Britain. Gobless. The land of milk and honey. God bless. God bless Britain. Anyway, interestingly as well, Tom, Hecateus, or uh, however it's pronounced, who cares, he also mentions a great circular temple to Apollo in Britain, which some scholars believe or have written may be Stonehenge Stonehenge, or a similar monument. I personally suspect that's absolute bollocks because the Brits at the time lived in round houses, so literally every building in Britain was round. (laughs) Well, not not every building, but it could literally have been anything. And I think people are just trying to find a use for Stonehenge because actually archaeologically and historically Stonehenge is really boring <laughs> it is isn't it there's nothing of interest around it whatsoever I had a friend who was an archaeologist who worked on Stonehenge 
and he said it was the most boring two years of his life. It's interesting, isn't it? Because when you go there, obviously it's it's historically fascinating, but it's also not that big. It's really quite small. There's nothing there apart from lots and lots and lots of tourists taking photos. Of, of some stones, yeah. Of some stones that are very interestingly arranged, but that's about as much as you can say about them. When you're driving along that A road to get to uh, southwest Britain, it's great. It's a good fun bit of, bit of road, that, because you've got the Stonehenge on one side and then you've got a massive pig farm on the other side and you can get to have a little fun look at all the pigs running around. You do, wonderful. <laughs> do, you not, do you not like looking at pigs? Classic chat. <laughs> uh, by the way, Tom is available for organised tours, ladies and gentlemen, if you do want to book him. <laughs> yeah, pig tours, taking in all the sites and all the pigs. Bacon not included. What I did find very interesting, though, is that Hecateus shows us that the ancient Greeks were familiar with the concept of ancient Britain, which I find pretty fascinating, really. Hundreds and hundreds of years before the Romans arrived, or the Romans even really knew about Britain themselves, the Greeks were sort of familiar with it, a country a very, very, very long way away, through a huge number of disparate different tribes and kingdoms, or an incredibly treacherous boat ride. And in fact, it's known that the first Greek visited, or the first Greek we know about, visited Britain, a chap called uh, Pythias, at roughly the time that Hecateus was writing. That, I thought, was really cool, that the Greeks were actually in Britain and knew about Britain in about, you know, 400 BC. Yeah, I remember, I, I do remember looking at this and reading a little bit about this at university, because, yeah, there were, there were these sort of sporadic, slightly grey references to places that could easily be interpreted as Britain. I do remember that. When, when you're reading the sources and when you're looking at, at what evidence has come from a period, obviously that's a, a very small snippet of what's going on and it's a certain mm. element of society that is capable of writing down a history. And you're certainly not finding out what the merchants knew. And I would not be surprised if a lot of merchants, for example, knew a fair amount about places like the UK just through word of mouth yeah. and through chatting bars at ports and things. Yeah, and there are some decorative kind of ceremonial weapons that have been found in Britain, which are ancient Greek weapons dating back a very, very long time. There you go, uh, probably, yeah. Probably brought to Britain as historic artefacts, so they were already historical when they were, when they were sold on as, as trinkets. Yep, so they would, def- uh, they would definitely have been trade routes, wouldn't they? Yeah. Also notably, Ptolemy, the, the famous great Roman-Egyptian scholar, also thought Hyperborea was Britain. But anyway, as time went on, people found more and more exotic, and by exotic I mean not very exotic, locations for these imaginary people. So about 100 years later, uh, so we're talking uh, kind of 2nd century BC now, and the writer Simeus of Rhodes was placing Hyperborea in modern-day Kazakhstan, which again is a huge difference from Greece for them to even be familiar with across, you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles of empty desert and empty steppeland. So that, I thought, was pretty remarkable as well. And finally, in around AD 43, one of the first professional geographers, a Roman chap called Pomponius Mela, placed Hyperborea in the Arctic Circle, which explains the 24-hour daylight thing, but very much not the whole land of milk and honey idea, given yeah. the Arctic Circle. It tends to be a little bit chilly. I mean, it's certainly white like milk. Well, that's true. Yeah. That's true. And uh, Northern Europeans are very tall, possibly not three metres, but, you know... Maybe not far off. Six yeah. foot two, so six foot three. Yeah, so it's Scandinavians are tall, aren't they? The Dutch are tall. They yeah. are. Um, but again, the Romans knew about the Arctic Circle, which I thought was very interesting. That is interesting. And obviously, there's no finale to this story. The whole thing was made up. This land never existed. But I did think it was really interesting. I thought it was a really interesting story. So there we go, Tom. I do want to finish, if I may, on an honourable mention. Go for it. Yeah, absolutely. So I did a lot of reading into obscure gods for this week's episode. And I came across... 
a lady called Cardia. Do you know Cardia, Tom? No, I don't. Now, Cardia, Tom, is a Roman goddess. And I think she deserves a mention and deserves possibly some sympathy for having, I think, and I challenge our audience to find a less relevant god, probably the least glamorous remit or portfolio of any deity. <laughs> Cardia, okay. So what is she heart attacks? Yeah. Is... <laughs> No, good guess, good guess, but no. Playing cards. Almost that boring, Tom, almost that boring. Meet Cardea, Tom, the Roman goddess of door hinges. Door hinges? Door hinges, not wow. doors, very specifically door hinges. Right, the, the goddess of door hinges, why was that important enough to warrant a goddess? Well, she's the goddess of safe passage into buildings and safe business, which I guess in Roman times when you stood a pretty good chance of being stabbed by your enemies hiding around a corner, probably was no bad thing. But I, I don't really know. I don't know a huge amount about her. I just stumbled across her. The Romans were quite keen on her. I think roughly this time of year they had a festival dedicated to her where they all ate pork and beans. And... Uh, <laughs> I don't know why. Again, yeah, that was the food dedicated. That was the food of door hinges. Yeah. But yeah, that's very much the work experience kid's job of godding, isn't it? Go on, you just sit there for two weeks and make sure that door opens and closes like yeah, it should. Look after the door hinges, and if you're lucky, you might get some pork and beans. Yeah, yeah absolutely. How bizarre. Well, that was very interesting, Sam. I've really enjoyed that. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad I went Greek. Yeah, yes. I've always found it very interesting how people perceived lands and areas that they don't really know very much about and how they fill the gaps in their knowledge with nonsense. I've always found that yeah. very interesting. I think humans have a tendency today as much as any time to to kind of know what the end result is and know where you are right now and then just make up the bit in the middle. <laughs> just yep. chance it. Yeah. So I know that planes fly, but I'm not a pilot, so I'm just going to entirely make up how a plane flies. How do, how do you make it up? So what do you think? Is it... Lo- goblins. It's fucking goblins, lots Tom. Of, it's lots, just, of, <laughs> lots of little goblins wiggling their legs as fast as they can to create upthrust. Yeah, they've got diving flippers on and they just stand <laughs> at the back of the wings. There's about 50 of them. And just, just going really fast. <laughs> <laughs> Holding on to the plane. I don't know how boats float, Tom. There's a boat. I don't know how it floats. I'm just going to make it up. There we go. Goblins. Goblins again. It's all goblins. <laughs> In fact, oh, it's exactly the same solution, isn't it? Yeah. These goblins are just better at swimming. And they've got snorkels because they need to be able to breathe. So yes. it's the only difference. There we go. Science pictures. <laughs> right. Well, that was a surreal start to the uh, start to the episode, Sam. <laughs> so the North. So it was a very vague topic. And I had read... It was. A couple of weeks ago, there was a BBC News article about there being more pyramids in Sudan than there are in Egypt because obviously ancient Egypt stretched all the way along the Nile and obviously went into areas that are now in other countries and I thought that was quite interesting Hmm. I read that article it's quite interesting and then I thought oh could I do I could talk about Egypt I could talk about upper and lower Egypt which confusingly I didn't realize this Sam but upper Egypt is actually lower Egypt and lower yes, Egypt it's, up, it's up, upstream Egypt, isn't exactly, it? Exactly, Which yeah. is closer yeah. to the source. Yep, yeah, so Upper Egypt is actually South Egypt, and Lower Egypt is North Egypt, which is a little bit confusing. And so I was polishing up my general knowledge of ancient Egypt, and it reminded me when I was reading up about ancient Egypt, because I've never actually studied ancient Egypt, I was reminded about the late Bronze Age collapse, which I have come across before in studying the Greek history, and it's, it's fairly well known, so maybe some of our listeners have, have heard about it, but it's still good fun. It's a significant, really significant event 
in ancient history. And it fitted in with the theme. So I thought that's what I would go for. I would talk about the late Bronze Age collapse and the sea peoples who were involved in that late Bronze Age collapse. Have you heard of the late Bronze Age collapse and the sea peoples? Very vaguely, yeah. It rings oh, a bell. Because but... I, I wasn't sure. It was, it was potentially one of those topics that you'd actually know quite a lot about. So I'm pleased that you no, don't. No, I don't, no. Excellent, 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 excellent. So the late Bronze Age collapse. So between 1200 BC and about 1150 BC, there was a really tumultuous change in geopolitics in the Eastern Mediterranean. And by Eastern Mediterranean, I mean Egypt, Greece... I'm sorry, I'm tapping the desk. (laughs) Egypt, Greece, modern-day Israel, Palestine, Syria, Turkey. So not just the coastal areas, but inland as well. Prior to 1200 BC, there were a few significant empires, some major powerful kingdoms in this area. So you had the Hittites, who were based in modern-day Turkey, but they also spread down into Syria, Israel, Palestine, Lebanon. So the sort of western coastal area of the Middle East. And in that area of the world, they were rubbing up against the Egyptians, who were obviously a major power as well, obviously along the Nile <laughs> de- Delta. Excuse me? R- rubbing up against the Egyptians. Yeah, they were battling for uh, supremacy in that area. Ah, as opposed to they just really enjoyed the feeling of sensual Egyptian cotton. Yeah, they weren't just spooning. Just, just They were just stroking them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they got onto the battlefield... Looking by for Anubis, a fight. how do you oh, get it oh. so soft? <laughs> yeah, oh, I was, well, I was going to stab you, but now I've seen what you're wearing. <laughs> I feel like just rubbing you. We can't get blood on that. <laughs> I'm sorry, it'd be a crime against I fashion. I cannot send you home covered in blood when you're wearing such a beautiful tunic. The stains will never come out. <laughs> oh, you'll never forgive me. Oh, Tom, I'd never forgive myself. <laughs> oh, dear. So you got the Mycenaean Greece in modern-day Greece. You've got Babylonians who are along the Tigris and the Euphrates deltas. And then you've got the Assyrian Empire as well, which is in sort of northwest Iraq. So you've got some major powerful kingdoms. And there's significant archaeological remains of these empires and kingdoms. And they've been growing in the Fertile Crescent for close to 2,000 years. So the Babylonians date back to 1900 BC, Hittites 1500 BC, the Egyptian Old Kingdom dates back to 2700 BC, and that's the period of the Great the Great Pyramid, so really, really old. Uh, Mycenaean kingdoms date back to 1600 BC. Assyria as well is very old, 2500 BC. So these kingdoms had been well established for hundreds, if not thousand years. And then in this small 50-year period, 1200 BC to 1150 BC, everything is blown apart. In 50 years? In 50 years, everything is completely blown apart. Jeez. And it's followed by um, a couple of hundred years of Dark Age, out of which emerge much smaller states and Egypt and Assyria are the only empires that actually survive but in a much weaker state almost every major city in the areas I've described was destroyed and many never to be inhabited again so Hattusus which is the capital of the Hittite Empire which is in modern day Turkey which I visited and was a fascinating site that was completely destroyed never inhabited again Troy was destroyed on a couple of occasions I think there's archaeological evidence of Troy being destroyed never inhabited again until the Roman period, I think. And other places like Miletus that people may have visited on holidays to Turkey, for example. Trade routes were disrupted really badly. Literacy levels had dropped significantly, according to the archaeology available. And there's mass depopulation in some areas, and also massive population movements. So, what caused it? Mm. Traditionally, so the, the old-fashioned view, and this has come from French Egyptologists of the 19th century was that the sea peoples played a massive role and the sea peoples have always been very mysterious 
the term itself was coined by French Egyptologists who came from the north. So they came from the north and they just ravaged, rampaged through this area of the Mediterranean. And the, the first reference to the Sea Peoples that was discovered is in the Temple of Medinet Habu. Probably haven't pronounced that right. But it was a mortuary temple of Ramesses III, the pharaoh of Egypt. And there's an inscription of Ramesses III's defeat of an army of the Sea Peoples. I think Ramesses III fought Sea Peoples a couple of times, as did his predecessors, I think. Before I carry on with that, a rather strange aside that I found out about this temple of Medinet Habu. This temple complex has got lots of rather odd relief sculptures, one of which is a pile of hands, so it's a sculpture of someone counting through a pile of hands, and another oh, hands. one... hands. Hands, yeah, hands. I did hear ham. Ham, <laughs> the pile of hands. <laughs> Really rather strange thing to choose to put into <laughs> Oh, you did relief, say it was a stranger it? side, so I had high hopes. <laughs> uh, Pharaoh, we've got a bit of a gap on this relief. What would you like? Oh, I don't know. I like ham. <laughs> Do a picture of Barry counting the hams before supper. One, two, three. We've got three hams. <laughs> well, you can't, make a, you can't make a mural with three hams, Barry. <laughs> Do it. I'm the Pharaoh. Draw five. Go on, draw five. Make us look important. <laughs> And make them honey glazed as well. All the neighbours will be impressed. How do you do honey glazed hams in hieroglyphs? Oh, you're just a fucking cat. <laughs> just a cat. Draw a fucking cat on it, that'll do. No one really knows what they mean anyway, they're just doodles. <laughs> so yeah, so they're a pile of hands. And um, <laughs> and apparently this was to account for the dead in battles. So you'd count, uh, presumably they would chop off the hands of, of slain enemies and then they would take the hands back and then they would count them up and decide how many people they managed to kill. Weirdly, there's another relief, similar purpose, and it's a pile of genitals. It's a man oh. counting a pile of genitals. What a job. <laughs> Indeed. What, what a job. Cock counter to the stars. <laughs> Todger Talia. <laughs> <laughs> now there's an accountancy job you don't want, isn't it? Yeah, polar of the plonkers. Yeah. Counting the cash is absolutely fine, but trying to balance the ball sheets. Oi, <laughs> <laughs> hey, Barry, we've got 42 hands and only 16 testicles. What have you been up to? Empty your pockets, lad, come on. Yo, I wanted to take home some bollocks for the wife. <laughs> Imagine, imagine that. Imagine if you came. They make lovely soup. <laughs> See people bollocks, bit salty but lovely with a bit of bread. Imagine coming back from battle to see your family who who thought you know you might not even come back, and uh, you come back and say, look what I look what I've come back with. Oh, an enemy's bollocks. <laughs> oh, thanks. Rather you died to be honest. Yeah. What's wrong with the bloody you know? gold ring that you chop off someone's finger. Why would you have to come back with their dodger? <laughs> Very strange. I'm wondering what else they would do with them. I was sort of imagining hunting trophies of just a massive cock and balls dangling on. A necklace of sea people pearls. <laughs> Above the fireplace. Very, 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 very strange. Suddenly, an awful lot of jellied eels for sale in town today. <laughs> Where's this new supply of slimy sea creatures come from? Oh, that's disgusting. Don't ask, don't tell, love. They're cheap. <laughs> oh, God. Cheap and very nutritious. Very, very disgusting. Or the, you know, the overworked taxidermist. <laughs> Not another bloody todger to stuff. 
I've been stuffing dodges all week. I've got very few ideas left of what to do with them, to be honest. People say they want something original. I've done coat hooks. <laughs> I've done knife handles. <laughs> I've done door handles. Door knobs, if you will. I've done... <laughs> My front door's got a lovely knocker, pair of knockers on it as well. Blessed be to the goddess Cardia. <laughs> May she keep them well lubricated. Hey, all right. Oh, dear. Anyway, so very, very strange. So that was just a brief aside. Anyway, there are a number of other Egyptian sources that refer to these sea peoples. During the reign of Ramesses II, not the third, the Egyptians fought a group of, inverted commas, sea peoples at a place called Sherdan in the Nile Delta. And after defeating them, the prisoners were made to fight for the Egyptians against the Hittites at a battle called the Battle of Kadesh. So you can see that these sea peoples that were originally defeated were then actually dragged into battle on the path of the Egyptians. During the reign of uh, Murnitar, I probably haven't pronounced that right either, Pharaoh Murnitar, the Egyptians fought a confederation of peoples called the Nine Bows, which were apparently led by a Libyan. And interestingly, there were women and children present in this army, which makes you think that it's not just a military movement uh, not just a military operation it's actually a movement of peoples it's it seems like an immigration that's how yes that does sound a little bit like killing civilians and then making it look like they were armed (laughs) yeah possibly (laughs) there's something of the drone striking a wedding about that (laughs) yeah 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 possibly Uh, and the narrative i mentioned before from ramesses the third also mentions the nine bows in this piece of archaeological evidence they're closely connected to the sea people and three times ramesses defeated the sea people So the exact origins of the Sea Peoples is hotly disputed by academics, but there can be some rather large generalisations made. It's probably a mix of peoples from their areas surrounding these major empires I mentioned before. So Greeks, Sardinians, people from Sicily, Philistines. So smaller ethnic groups that hadn't yet established major empires. We do know is they had two hands and willies. (laughs) Well, yes. We know from the sources that that much them. at least is true. <laughs> We're assuming they cut the willies off the dead soldiers, but... That's true. Difficult to row a boat without hands, I suppose. <laughs> Use your mouth, you lazy fucker. Um, <laughs> Get the goblins out, come on. <laughs> Who's got the flippers? Open the chest of flippers. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what caused the late Bronze Age collapse? So was it the Sea Peoples? Well, actually, most academics now will, will suggest that the Sea Peoples are probably the result of changes rather than... The cause. Yes, they're, they're more a result than a cause. I mean, that would make sense. A small group of nomads who seem to be relatively easily defeated by large kingdoms, they're not going to cause the collapse of an entire corner of the Earth's civilization in the span of 50 years. No, well, actually... That would I, I take think, a lot of sea people. Well, I think it was the sheer volume, and some of these Egyptian sources seem to be surprised by the sheer number of people that are moving. So, yeah, they're not highly trained armies of nobles but there were a fuckload of them and this links to some of the other possible causes for this 50 year tumultuous period so these large empires were probably structurally very fragile so these are the first human empires these are the first major human kingdoms and they were probably very very top heavy and just not resilient so under a bit of stress these empires probably collapsed quite quickly with a lot of infighting There's strong evidence of environmental pressures, a few major droughts in this period. There's also technological advancements. So this is the beginning of the Iron Age. It's the end of the Bronze Age and the beginning of the Iron Age. And bronze, for bronze, you need 
I think it's is it nine parts copper to, to one part tin. And it's actually quite difficult to find those resources. I think there were resources in Afghanistan and Sicily, I think, which is where most of the raw materials came from. And you have to be very skilled to form bronze weaponry and, and other bronze objects. Whereas iron is far more readily available and it's a better a more easily used it's just a better material all yeah, around it's just a better it's material stronger it's, it's easier it's yeah what's potentially happening here is there are armies of, of infantry with iron weaponry in this period who are able to quickly overcome smaller armies of people on chariots armed with bronze weapons there's a possibility there were vol- there's a volcanic eruption potentially during this period which would have also caused more problems and um, evidence maybe of things like soil degradation as well. So basically it's a perfect storm of events that has led to this major collapse and it's, it just sounds like the shit hits the fans. So there are movements of people's left, right and centre. You can imagine that you've got these people from smaller areas hearing about these very, very wealthy empires and their massive stockpiles of food. They're sort of managing their agriculture successfully. Just deciding, fuck it, let's raid this place and just steal all their bread just a free-for-all for 50 years and that is the the bronze age that's the northern sea people coming in and causing havoc in the eastern mediterranean here's a little add-on sam mm. so the philistines i mentioned a moment ago possibly philistines made up these um inverted commas sea peoples they were originally of greek origin and then were settled i think they were actually settled by the egyptians the egyptians settled them in in modern palestine and then their references made to the philistines in the old testament that's interesting i've never known where they came from before yes and obviously the word philistine has gone from being a proper noun for an ethnic group to being a noun so you can call someone a philistine if they're um, just an ignorant fool and it made me think about other ethnic group names that have entered the English language as nouns. I've got a little list. Can you think of any? Um, well, of course. Of course, you have the uh, absolute morons. <laughs> of the... Uh, the cretins. <laughs> of the, uh, yes, of the, of the plains of Tsar. You've got the bogans of Bogenstan. <laughs> and uh, chavs, which are French for chevalier, short for the uh, nomadic... French horsemen yeah. of ancient Gaul. Well, I don't think you were taking this game very seriously, Sam. I think you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I came up with a little list of serious ones because I'm a serious person. Vandals, obviously, you know, the Germanic tribe, the Vandals. Mm. That has entered common parlance, as you know, someone... That has. Someone what causes destruction, Goths. Yeah. But then I don't know whether Goths has come via Gothic... So the people that call themselves Goths, whether it's because I of think that's come by Gothic architecture. Yeah, yes. I thought I think it would have done, which is you know in turn from the Goths. But anyway, I think troglodyte. Ooh, that's a good yeah. one, and that's an ancient Greek slash Roman word. I, th- I think it was. I think it was a semi mythical tribe. I think. I thought it just meant cave dweller. I, I think that's the exact translation, but I think in a similar way to what we get with something like Herodotus. I think the Greeks and the Romans maybe thought the troglodytes lived somewhere on the periphery of the known world. Huns, which were a Central Asian tribe. Barbarians, yeah, that's a, that's another one. We know that one really quite well. That was a, a Roman terminology for people who basically weren't in the empire. I thought barbarian was Greek for the sound that supposed non-Greek speakers made. Ba 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 ba. I thought it was. I thought. I genuinely. I thought uh, that um, barbarian uh, was Greek for just blah blah blah. Essentially, go on, research it. Let's find out. Term barbarian. Greco-Roman context, sorry, this is Wikipedia at its finest. This is a great 
Great history here. Ah, one not Greek and also used by the Romans for those living outside Rome. So we were kind of both right. That'll do. We were both right. Yeah, that'll do. And here's another one I came across that I thought was interesting. So this actually, well, no, this isn't actually one that meets my criteria, but it's something I stumbled across which I thought was interesting. The term hooligan, or the word hooligan, is late 19th century and is supposedly derived from the Irish surname Hulahan. And it was because of a particularly uh. rowdy Irish family. <laughs> <laughs> really? The Hulahans, who are always going around destroying shit and, you know, throwing glasses against the wall. And... We love football. Will you calm down oh, there now? Hands. Well, what are you doing now? Let's not cause so much destruction. Can't we just let bygones be bygones? <laughs> so that's Hooligan. Excellent. Do you know what? I've had a mind blank because there were a couple of ones which I thought which were actually like serious ones, but I can't remember what they were now. There's a couple from India which have found their way into uh, into modern parlance. Oh, are they? Because I was researching this one quite hard and I couldn't find any more than those and I thought there must be a few extra. Do you know where the phrase being blown away comes from? No, hit me with it. So that's from India and it's a particularly horrible punishment the British invented because we're a nation of civilised people for dealing with uh, mutineers in the Indian British army or rebels. And basically the punishment involved being strapped to a, a kind of a, a frame or tied around the front of a cannon and or having a cannon rolled up behind you and basically being shot at point-blank range in the back with a cannon. The idea being that it would happen in front of all of your friends. It would be quite a spectacular fireworks display of human body parts, apparently, yeah. and would mean that you were spread over a very large area, which had the psychological impact, obviously, on the people watching you, but also meant that you couldn't be buried because you were in bits scattered across a huge area. Oh, yeah, So okay. it meant that your traditional burial rites couldn't be carried out, so it was a particularly gruesome punishment invented by the British. As with everything that the British did, but very well thought through. Yes, absolutely. Planned beautifully. Yeah, very, <laughs> very, very good punishment. Very sensible punishment, I think, Sam. Executed artistically, yes. It's what Her Majesty herself would have prescribed. Oh, it's, it's too good for him, Sam, to be honest. Too good for him. Right, there we go. So that's me. That's me done. Fantastic. Oh, that's really interesting, Tom. I, I kind of heard vaguely about the collapse, but never really knew that much about it. So, interesting. Very good. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I feel like this week, after a couple of silly weeks, we've actually had quite an educational week this week. Yeah, well, absolutely. And and damn right. You can, there can be too much silliness in the world, can't there? There certainly can. And if there's one thing the world needs more of, it's not humour. Like, less laughing I think less enjoyment and need. more seriousness absolutely on that thought Tom have you got any ideas for next week yes I did I did have an idea and that idea was because it was pride was it was it gay pride if, last week it was I yeah. thought we could do homosexuality um, that doesn't have to ah. be crude but we could it do, doesn't have to be crude <laughs> it probably will end up being crude <laughs> I thought we could do homosexuality as a theme interesting Okay, yeah, that sounds good. I've already got an idea that I'm going to roll with. Excellent. I'm sure I can come up with something. Excellent. There we go. Decided. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, I hope you have enjoyed this podcast. Please do like, subscribe, all of the things you know you should be doing by now, you naughty little kids, if you haven't done them yet. I'm looking at you, Steve from Wisconsin. <laughs> How good would that be if there is a chap listening called Steve from Wisconsin? Yeah, I hope you're feeling really ashamed, Steve. Yeah, well, fuck me. Poor Steve's just there going, I've subscribed. <laughs> I've done this. I was like, How the fuck do they know? How did they find out that I was listening? 
<laughs> well, we were discussing before we went on, on air, weren't we, Sam, that we have got some excellent regular listeners who tune in every week, which we're delighted about. Really delighted about. We do. About. We are really genuinely very grateful yeah, to you, you all. So thank you for our returning, our returning visitors. And thank you in advance to all of our new listeners who are about to become returning visitors. Yeah. Yep, it's the only way to go once you listen to one. You'd be hooked. It's like heroin. It's like audio methamphetamine. Let's wrap it up. Right, well, that's probably a sign. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. We will see you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye.